0: Augie with BI playlist. I'm here with Misha Camacho from Broadway. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, man? Doing all right. I can't complain, man. Just doing a lot of housework lately. Yeah,
1: I feel that. I feel that.
0: So today we are going to make a playlist based off of some of the questions I ask you. Is there anything you wanted to name the playlist?
1: <laughs> anything we want to name the playlist? Let's see, man. Uh, I like things that capture like a like a small moment in time. Right now I'm playing uh, Ghost of Tsushima. You ever heard that game? Oh yeah, I've heard of it. Is it any good? Oh man, it's amazing. It's like one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. And uh, they just released the multiplayer for it. Uh, so I've been playing that. So um, that multiplayer is called Legends. So what about what about a Legends playlist?
0: That'll work, man. So is there anything that you could remember listening to like from your childhood? And, like maybe before you got into singing or playing music or anything like that? Just something maybe your parents had on?
1: Totally, totally. Yeah, my mom was a big music person um, growing up, and so we always had music playing in the house constantly. Big things were like Queen was probably my favorite thing listening to growing up. Nice. Yeah. Let's see. She played a lot of like 90s dance music around that time. She had like some like mixed CDs and stuff like that. I say my mom, uh, my parents were divorced when I I was young, so like I basically grew up with her. I kind of like inherited her her music taste in a lot of ways. You know, Genesis, the BGS were a big one. Oh my goodness, ABBA. She was huge into ABBA. Man, it's hard to like stretch back in your memory that far, huh?
0: Yeah, definitely, for sure. I know my mom, she was uh, she was always big into like Keith Sweat and stuff like that. Like old R&B, man. That she loved oh, okay. That
1: stuff. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. But that's, um, I mean,
0: that's good for now. We can go with, we can roll with some of those if you want. If you want to Yeah, start,
1: sure. Uh, Queen. I mean Queen's the biggest one. Queen is probably my single biggest inspiration out of like any group, and it's funny because like there are albums that I know like every word to, and it's and it's the weirdest thing. It's like Queen's one of those bands where I never really looked up the lyrics. It was like it was more like the energy of the song is what captures me um and it's and it's like what I recall in my head like I don't even have to hear the exact lyrics, but I can play the songs in my head. I know them so well and so i mean that goes like straight to bohemian rhapsody i was i was a i was a daydreamer as a kid pretty hardcore especially on like long drives and stuff like that i just stare out the window you know you do that thing where you pretend there's like a ninja like jumping on buildings and stuff yeah (laughs) and and so like when you when you're in that kind of like transitive state what picked up to me was all the harmonies and and just the power of like the vocals in that song
0: yeah Um, i think freddie mercury was really good about capturing what he wanted in the song so when he made a song if he whatever he made that song about he was really good at capturing whether it be the emotions whether it be fat bottom girls uh, right you know bohemian rhapsody whatever it was that he was trying to portray
1: right 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 you got it (laughs) totally totally i mean like in in our band broadway you can definitely see a lot of inspiration there because they were a band that didn't really have a genre. You oh, know, for I mean? sure, definitely. Yeah. Their genre's queen. It it's almost like it's almost like each of them had each of them had a singular energy that if they approached some kind of synergistic, you know, genre song that they wanted to do, it always came out yeah, it came out like that genre, but it came out very essentially queen at the same time. Yeah, um, for sure. I remember reading a story about um uh, what's this song? Another one bites the dust, and that um, Michael Jackson was the one that like actually convinced them to release that song because they weren't actually um sure about it at first. And he heard it and he was like, "Dude, this is this is fire! You got to put it out." And <laughs> and apparently it, it like it like blew up on like you know the R and B stations and stuff like that. They didn't even know it was Queen. Because Queen wasn't like that kind of an essential act in America, I think, at that time. And I feel like that sets them apart. I mean, I'll, I'll take a lot of rocks for this, but like, I think that's even what sets them apart from somebody like the Beatles to where yeah. the Beatles are essentially British. Um, when you listen to them, you cannot extrapolate their British essence from their sound and who they are and what they sing about. Whereas Queen, I don't even think that's necessarily true, regardless of the fact that they are British. It's like their songs kind of worked into a completely different. Each one took you to a different place, you know, very like Bowie-esque in that sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. He was definitely one of the greatest musicians. Totally. As you said, Genesis as well.
1: Genesis, man. Oh, man. Invisible Touch. I must have listened to Invisible Touch on the way to school. A thousand times it was like my favorite song by them, oh yeah, and then tonight, oh man, come on, anything she does, yeah, Genesis is fire, but I loved um invisible touch. this is Phil Collins. he'll take like lyrical lines, and then he'll kind of play his own voice and songs, like he's like a flute or something like that, so like she seems to have an invisible. Da, da. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's almost like he's playing a flute or something. Like, it's really cool. Really cool. He was he was always great at, like, taking vocal lines and turning them more into instrumentals than, like, traditional, you know, pop melodies and stuff like that. Phil Collins is really cool for that.
0: The Bee Gees?
1: Oh, my God. Bee Gees. It's so funny. I was watching that show, uh, Hip Hop Revolution. They were talking about how, you know, at the advent of hip hop, it kind of like coincided with the death of disco, especially in New York. And disco was like considered to be too, you know, it was becoming like too effeminate or something like, like it wasn't something that normal people were into anymore. It was like, it was like if you were into it, you were into like a lot of like glamour and 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 things of that nature. You know, the prejudice of that aside, I don't even feel like describes the best things in disco to me, which is like this floating beat, right? Like that's like kind of essential to all of disco tracks. Is that like, you know, kick, snare, kick, snare, let's keep the, let's keep the beat going, and you can kind of flow into any kind of dance or rhythm or and then the guitars are like very strummy, like super strummy, super high, and it just like attacked your body. Who is it? Uh Scorsese was talking to Mick Jagger. They were making that show. What is that called? It was HBO. It didn't last that long, but it was like the history of life. It was kind of like the history of the punk movement and stuff like that. And uh, Mick Jagger was like producing other show and they were talking about music and Scorsese was like, disco is like the only kind of music. I just can't get into disco whatsoever. And I think, I think it was Mick Jagger. I'm probably fucking this up, but um, he told him like, it's the, it's the, it's dancing. It's not music you just listen to. You, you in order to understand it you have to dance to it and that and like that concept kind of got me into like a, electronic music and stuff like that like I never was really into electronic music until like I got real comfortable dancing and, yeah. and then it's like once you do that you start to recognize where all the you know the ups and downs in the beat and the in the rhythm are they're just attacking a part of your brain that if if you don't already have that muscle there a little bit it might go over your head. Oh, for
0: sure. I'm not much of a dancer, but maybe that's why I'm not a big disco fan.
1: (laughs) Oh, I got you. I'm telling you, bro. If you smoke a joint and listen and and you're standing and you're listening to disco, if you don't start dancing just compulsively, you might have to check your heartbeat because it, it, it feels impossible. Like that's the thing. Like if I if I smoke and I put some headphones on and I start listening to like dance music like that, I don't even realize I'm dancing. At the, at the time and then I'm just like into it I'm just like oh shit this this is hitting
0: actually like oh, I, you I hear switch. different sounds uh, when you when you're high versus when you're sober listening to music oh
1: I mean absolutely absolutely everything gets affected you the, the, the depth the depth of the music gets affected um the strength of the drums gets affected the the textures you start to feel like all the micro textures of like guitars bass lines, different keyboards different keyboards really don't make sense until you're high and you start to hear like you know what i mean you can kind of actually feel the like if if you do like a like a laser lead or something like that like that's not a texture that you necessarily can feel with your body when you're sober but when but when you're high it like reverberates through you and you're like oh i get it like i get i get the visual and the feeling of the sound now
0: definitely uh, sorry, that was uh, that was Jenna, No, the Bee Gees is where we're at.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, also, so the Bee Gees, uh, uh, staying alive. How deep is your love?
0: Last one from your childhood is ABBA.
1: Yeah, man, man. My mom had like their greatest hits. Dancing Queen would get a lot of play in my house.
0: Dancing Queen, all right.
1: Well, and that's and, that's and Mama Mia, yeah, man.
0: When did you discover your voice? At what age were you?
1: Uh, okay. So I'm gonna say the first time I got up the confidence, maybe to sing in front of people. I think fourth grade, and I was huge into boy bands like Backstreet Boys, In Sync. I would just play their albums. I think it was In um self-titled at that time. Yeah, yeah. That that was their self-titled album. You know, No Strings Attached came out after that which was insane. Uh, Backstreet Boys had, what was their album called? Was it Millennium or something like that? Yeah, Millennium. They had a self-titled and then they came out with Millennium and I knew every track off of every single one of all four of those albums. Quit Playing Games With My Heart was like a song that me and my cousin would sing and just like emote, you know, tragedy. You know what I mean? Like that overacting of, of like, you're like on your knees and almost crying. Yeah. Almost crying. <laughs> totally, totally, yeah. NSYNC, Backstreet Boys. Let me see NSYNC. I feel like they had more hits than the Backstreet Boys to be honest Absolutely. You. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's weird because like the Backstreet Boys, I mean, they even look a little older than NSYNC, but they were like, to me, they were like adult, mature R&B stuff. And then NSYNC was like, you know, the younger, like funner
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: I remember seeing, tearing up my heart, it was like summer, I was staying with my grandfather, who's a pastor. So he was like at the church all the time. He had a big, like a, like an RV that he would use to travel around the country. And uh, I remember watching like the Disney Channel premiere of their live concert, like huddled around with my friends. I remember that too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I want you back sailing. I don't know why sailing is one of the songs i remember from that album but sailing is one of the songs i remember from that album bye 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 it's gonna be me it's gonna be me Is like the funniest voice like you can you can right. make it's such a creepy song if you listen back to it because it's like it's kind of forcefully telling a woman like you're gonna be with me sooner or later which i'm like oh man like when i listen to album, this is creepy especially like the, the the title line they drop the whole track and then. Like drop that line. So we just go silent and he's like, it's gonna be me. And then like everything comes (laughs) in. It's really creepy.
0: So you said fourth grade, did you ever receive any like training throughout the like choir class or anything like that for your boys?
1: No training, no teaching or anything like that. And I mostly sing like boy band stuff. And like I had like a group of friends that we like saying boy band stuff. We weren't very good. We performed in front of our class, forgot all the lyrics like because we were so nervous. Everybody's like staring. I, I don't know if you can imagine us. We're playing the song and it, the song has the lyrics in it. We're like singing along to the song and we're forgetting all the lyrics.
0: <laughs> the nerves Which was kicked in, I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was, my, that was my first interaction with a nightmare show. Um, and I've had plenty since. So <laughs> it was a nice little warm up to let me know what was coming. So you were in a band
0: before Broadway, like MySpace era age, right?
1: Totally. I was in a, bu- I was in a bunch of bands. I mean, I, I feel like even if you weren't going to make music or have a career in music, when you love music, especially, I feel like, rock music, it's almost like you you get in a band, you call it a band. It's really your social circle. It's really like these people you want to get together with and just like, fuck around with for a while yeah so i mean like there were tons of like you know interloping groups of people that i would you know either cover songs with or something you know something like that we called it we were, we were a band yeah i was in a band just out of high school called to my dearly beloved and uh that one was with like a, a, basically everybody in that band was from like art school we had there's a there's a art school the Osceola, uh county school for the arts that i went to in ninth grade failed. I, I failed out. I flunked out of it. Um Not for my, I, I wasn't there for drawing um and visual art. It was my, my core classes that I really like fucked up on, but all the kids had gone to that school at one time or another. Jack Fowler was in that band who was later in Broadway, Brian Camara, who was later in Broadway. And then the other, uh the other people went on to do their own like local bands and stuff like that. Everybody kind of like split off, you know, And then that was the first one we played like we probably had like three original songs that we recorded on like a little mixer, like a battery powered mixer. Yeah, Uh, they probably sounded terrible, dude. Like I can't I just can't even imagine like the cringing I would do if I ever heard it those songs again. But we we covered a lot of like Under Oath. We covered Devil Wears Prada at the time. That was like their first. I don't know if it was like an EP or LP. But like dogs grow beards all over was was one we covered chiodos, I know we did no penguins in Alaska, and then what was like the big one at the time? It, I think it, the words best friend become redefined is definitely that one. I don't think it was it could it could have been baby you Win last minute on the creek. I can't remember how that goes. Um, but it was definitely uh, word best friend and no penguins in Alaska. We definitely did old under oath. We didn't do define the great line, even though that was like most of us like our favorite album. But like. It's mostly screaming and their older, poppier stuff on they're only chasing safe. Dude, dude, a boy brushed red, living in black and white. What a song.
0: Right. I remember listening to that.
1: (laughs) Dangerous business walking out your front door. And what was the big one of that reinventing your exit? Right. Yeah. Reinventing your exit. That was like that was like the song when we played it, everybody Cause I mean, that's like the local band thing. Like you don't have any original songs, Um, (laughs) but like, you know, that, that was the song that everybody knew we would play at this place called, this is just going to let you know what kind of place this is. The name of it was called behind the eight ball (laughs) and it was a pool hall in like the really shitty part of town. And it was like, the only reason we met up there was number one, it was off the main road in, in, in Kissimmee, Florida. There's one main road called One Ninety Two. And that stretches all the way from coast to coast, east to west, straight through. And so that was off the main road so everybody could get there easily. Um, or or like when I say everyone could get there, it was like you had a couple of friends who had cars. So they their job was like going around picking everybody up <laughs> to bring them to the show. You know what I mean? Because yeah. this is not a big place. The parking lot had maybe like 15 parking spots. So you really had to like pile in or like park somewhere else and like walk down the street. And yeah, those were my first few shows. A lot of a lot of my first few shows were there at the Behind the Eagle. And then I was in a band from Ocala. They were Ocala Central, like like located there. They all lived there and grew up there and they all knew each other. And they had just lost their singer, though. But he was like from somewhere else. I forget where he was from, but he drove long distance to be in that band. Um, and this is around the MySpace era. This is like when everybody in Florida in that Florida scene kind of knew each other in a, in a sense. Like they didn't really know each other, but you probably knew somebody who knew this person. Oh yeah, I, I know I know a guy who knows this person. And, the, and then there was like the the scene kids who were like scene famous on MySpace, where they had like ten thousand friends. They went to every show, every party, so everybody knew them, and it was like you know, three d two degrees of separation from like anybody. So I met up with those guys and I felt out of place with them. They were all like, they were so tight knit. They had all like grown up together. They had been in the band for a while. And they were the guys, if a data remember played in Ocala, they were the guys that played with them. Always. Always. They were the guys that played underneath a data remember. And this is when a data remember was like they had just signed to victory records so they were like the hometown heroes of Ocala Ocala had a big hardcore scene and then like I think a day to remember blowing up kind of helped the scene in that area develop into a more pop oriented scene with like a lot of post hardcore and kind of like pop metal kind of stuff yeah and so when I joined that band it was my band was like big in Kissimmee For like the people that went to school, if we all knew each other, you know what I mean? Like if you knew like the scene kids around the area and the Ocala scene was much more like congealed, like the, the Ocala scene was like those kids go to shows. They had venues that they would go to and fuck up like every every weekend. And so it was like daunting to join a band where suddenly like, number one, I don't know their scene you know that well i don't know anybody in ocala and they were already like people would write like their catchphrase was like titan what so like in the school bathrooms like that would be like written on like the bathroom doors and shit like that and we did that for a while we only had a couple of original songs not that many not enough to do like a like to record to release anything
0: the reason you got into broadway is because i know i think you mentioned it before somebody messaged you on myspace because they liked your band.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was when I was in Titan and uh, Nick Trombino, who was one of the founding members of Broadway, messaged me that they were looking for a vocalist. So this was long after I had done, I was in Titan for a while. I had done some vocal tracks for this, for this, I struggle to call it a band because it wasn't really a band at the time. Like people had this habit of creating quote unquote bands. Like they would they would pay somebody to come up with a whole page and shit like that. And then yeah. if you had a few famous friends who were good musicians or whatever, you could, pay, you know, not even pay them. Like, just like, hey, let's, you know, record some stuff for me. I'll put some vocal tracks on it. it this is a band now. You know, they try to get signed. And then, you know, oh, we don't have any members. We'll we'll figure that out later. Because we, once we're signed, that's the easy part is like getting people to join a signed band. Yeah. So um, there was this act called Paddock Park that like I did some vocal tracks on it was like they released like an EP and I th- and I believe it was that that Nick heard and then he uh reached out to me on my said, you know we've just lost our singer and you know we're thinking about going in kind of in that direction that, that you know that you're already in this kind of like pop but like heavy stuff and so I met up with them they're all based out of they were all based out of like um just like north of Florida like maybe like an hour and a half north of Orlando like all the bands I've been in like I have to like 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 <laughs> cross state um to like practice and stuff like that.
0: You were used to covering like Chiodos and like basically bands in the scene, bigger bands in the scene. But whose idea was it to cover The Lonely Island?
1: <laughs> the Lonely Island. So that's that's like so that's years we were. That's when we were in Broadway. We had already recorded our album and we were already touring. the The like punkos albums were big. Punkos rap, punkos all that stuff. Yeah, pop and yeah. But it was, like, so, like, I mean, this might be, like, a little Aaliyah's at the time. Like, keep in mind, this is all through, through all through the veil and perspective of, like, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid. <laughs> but I was just, like, they're not your songs. They don't even sound better when you're playing it like that. And it's just it's such a cheap grab to, like, attach your name to somebody else's work just to get some likes. But it, But in a business standpoint, like, it was, like, the essential thing that everybody had to do. You know, you had to have your good album that, like, everybody loved. And then you had to have some good covers to yeah. kind of in between them to kind of keep the the attention on you. And I was like, a, I was kind of a dick I was I, in, in my band. I was like the guy who never wanted to do anything normal. And so, like, they were all like, let's do it. Let's do a cover. I'm not, I'm not fucking doing a cover. At this time, I like uh, it was between The Lonely Island and Heartless by Kanye West. Yeah. Those were the two songs we were going to do. Damn, but I like <laughs> yeah I mean heart- heartless would have been sick, heartless would have been really, right in, in in retrospect i i, I kind of wish we would have done that one, but um, <laughs> the lonely islands, the song was already funny, it was already a kind of a parody of like big hip hop songs of like you know, look what I got, and, and the idea was when bands like covered stuff like that, they would turn it into like their genre, so it was like you know the doors probably covered something all of a sudden. It's, there's like screaming in the song this song does not need screaming it doesn't need breakdowns it does you know it doesn't like fit the energy of like what they're actually talking about whatsoever like that dissonance was like so funny to me so like that's why we picked um the lonely island because it was already a comedy song and i'm like if we're going to do it it's going to be funny Cause, uh, i mean that was kind of a central point of everything in that band we were always trying to make each other laugh that, that was definitely an essential energy in the band. Yeah. Um, so the thought of somebody like doing a huge breakdown and like screaming and I'm on a boat was so funny to me. <laughs> and it was like when we recorded it, we couldn't stop laughing.
0: I went and looked at that video the other day and there's still people commenting and watching it like today.
1: Yeah. 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 It, it, isn't that isn't that so strange that it t- it turned out to be one of our biggest. I mean, it's not. I mean, that it is essentially why every band was doing it. it. It puts eyes on you that you normally wouldn't have. You know what I mean? You, you get to take a little bit of clout from somebody who's way bigger.
0: It was like, it isn't fab, right? I set my friends on fire who did the uh, Soulja Boy cover. And right. that was like the first like mainstream hardcore totally. cover. And I, I remember they broke MySpace pretty much.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Totally. And then after
0: that, I feel like after that, that's really when all the covers took off and like people just and it's never stopped. People continue to do it to this day. It's right. Awesome.
1: I mean, there are there are bands that literally make their money like they they put out albums. But the thing that allows them to put out albums are their covers. And, yeah, and, so and all the our last night guys. is one of
0: them for sure. Yeah.
1: I, I love our last night. Those guys were like one of the few bands that I got like simpatico with with the members i didn't really mesh well with a lot of bands that we tore with to be honest yeah yeah so yeah yeah so that cover we did that oh man i got a great story about that too so that became an ascent that was our closer it, you would think it would be like pinky and, and for a long time it was pinky and then it, it you know went back to pinky but that was our closer because it was so big and, and, and people would show up with like beach balls and shit like that for the song and everything like that people everybody would just lose their mind so it was just, like, such a fun song to, like, in a set on. And then we played Japan. We got a label in Japan. It was, like, Triple Vision, I think it was called. Um, and they and they released our record. And it was the same label that Alice Santa and, I think, Bless the Fall were on. Um, so we, all three of us went out to Japan to play two shows back-to-back in a pretty big venue in Shibuya. Like, we were nowhere near, like, Alice Santa or Bless the Fall size. At all, at all. Like the only reason we got signed to that label was because the A and R from the label l- liked our sound, you know. Yeah. Um. So, so they brought us out, and we're like, we're in Japan, it's awesome. We're gonna play our music. The culture shock. It's like you finish your song, and there's fucking silence, silence. And and it's because it's not because they don't like you. They're res- they're respecting. They're waiting for me to speak. They're letting me speak without interruption. Very like jarring, very jarring to just hear dead silence after you finish a song, and then we're like, okay, like we're gonna we're gonna get him on this one. Oh, I'm on a boat. <laughs> so like the intro to that song is the and as soon as like most people like hear the the they already know what song it is because it was already like a big song by itself even if you didn't know we covered it. So, like, people would just immediately, like, start screaming, getting stoked, running, rushing towards the stage. We start playing. D-d-d-d-d-d. Nobody fucking moves. <laughs> it's like a mausoleum. Everybody is still. <laughs> There's dust settling. And, and and the intro of the song is, is like, me being hyped. I'm, like, automatically, like, yelling into the mic. You know, uh, what what is he saying? Like, he says something. <laughs> what is the intro of that song? It's like, um, it's like, get off your feet and get on your motherfucking toes or something like that. (laughs) And like, it's so hype. Like, I'm just like yelling into the mic and nobody's moving. It isn't until like the, so it just goes over terribly. And then we get backstage and I just go, is it at all possible that that song is not fucking big in Japan at all? And we just made fools of ourselves. Like we acted like they already should know. (laughs) Like, you guys know what's coming, man. You hear the intro. Like, this is where you lose it. And, like, they were just like, I don't have no idea what you guys are doing. I have no idea what The Lonely Island is. I don't watch SNL. So, yeah, yeah, that's the story.
0: So y'all y'all released Kingdoms and y'all had uh, both the Craigs on there, Johnny and Owens. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, the album was already done when Craig Owens recorded his part. Yeah,
1: that's true. I, well, both, both of them actually... The plan was to release it either late 2008 or early 2009. And the the album had a lot more screaming on it. Actually, it honed a lot closer to like the Chiodo style of like very definitive parts of singing vocals. And then these are the screaming parts. So when things got heavy, that's when you screamed. It was like that kind of like zero one dynamic. I, I don't I wonder if those like versions of the tracks like exist anywhere other than. Cameron Mazzell was our producer. They're probably on some hard drive he has in storage. But they were very like one, you know, one zero. Craig Owens was the first one we got. So Craig Owens was the first one we were going for. Jorge from Stereo Bear. Stereo Bear is a clothing brand um, that was pretty decently big at the time, especially in the Florida scene. And uh, Jorge was friends with Craig Owens. And he and we had given... Jorge had been friends with us for a long time. You know, um, he he was just one of those guys who was just like super supportive of the scene, super big smile, like loved everybody. Like everybody got along with him. Really cool guy. And we had given him like our CD unmixed and unmastered. And he was listening to it. And he, he kind of just told us like out of nowhere, he was like, Hey, I hope you don't mind. Craig was about to take flight. And I told him, like I told him I've been jamming this album nonstop and I gave it to him. And he listened to it on the flight over and we were like, okay. And he's like, and he loves it. So we reached out to him on MySpace, like direct messaged him. We're like, hey, man, you know, uh, we heard, you know, you like the album, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, it's a shame. Like, you know, it, it's done. Like, I would love to like do something on it, be a part of it. And we're like, fuck it, dude. Like, if you want to <laughs> be a part of it, like, it's not fucking done. We'll do it.
2: Let's, right? let's, let's,
1: let's get you in there. So, and that took a while to coordinate because he was a busy guy. But once we did coordinate it, we got him on there. And then and that's right. So, so my AR, he uh he was acquaintances with uh um uh, Johnny Craig. Like he had he had known a lot of the people ar- around the Amarosa band and stuff like that, and the management around there, and like Pierce the Veil and stuff like that. And so just through like conversation with them, talking to him, he was, you know, trying to like warm him, you know, warn him down to doing it. And and I think at first like Johnny was just like, um, I'm not just gonna do vocal lines for every band that comes along. <laughs> and then they did Isles and Glaciers together. And it was at that session that like he he talked to Craig because I guess he had already known that like Craig Owens had it like done the part. And he was like, hey man, you know, these guys are hitting me up. They're asking me if I should do this. Blah, blah blah What do you think? And he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, he's like, the thing's awesome. Like, and he's like, the guys are cool. You're gonna you're gonna like doing it. So we caught him. The way we coordinated was he was going to play a show in Orlando. He's in Amorosa at the time. So um, we've just picked him up straight from the venue right after he got off, got off stage, brought him to Cameron Mizell's studio. And he had like a six pack of like beers. I didn't drink at the time. I don't think any of us were drinking. Maybe would like the other guys like drank like a beer or two. But this, yeah. this guy like pounded, pa- like he's like in the vocal booth. We get, We have a camera on the vocal booth. He's like pounding the fucking bottles. And I'm like, I don't know how he's gonna like. This is, like, you know, the carbonation and stuff. But I'm like, I stink. Um, sure enough, like the more he drank, like the better like he sounded. <laughs> it was it was fucking insane. And it was like it was as like like kind of like bone chilling of a moment. I, I it sounds like. I, look, I'm a huge fan of Johnny, and so like I remember listening to Dance Gavin Dance and getting chills like listening to like a lot of his parts. It, it was like, you know, make whatever. Assumption or, or, or determination you want on the the skill of the writing of the music, you can't argue that what came out wasn't full of emotion and full of, of, of some kind of power. You know, it wasn't out, what else was in the scene at the time. Oh, for and, sure.
0: Definitely. Definitely different. Johnny Craig's voice, his personality isn't so hot, but that voice, man, he, nobody can say otherwise about his voice his yeah. voice is one of the most different and just powerful things in
1: our scene and like totally, totally. <laughs> and so and so, i mean we were like we were like dude like we're scared of this guy we're like scared <laughs> of the entire situation we can't even believe we got craig owens we never even met craig owens i have i have personally never met craig owens ever oh, wow That might not be true. I think he did like an acoustic show or something that we might have shown up to. But it like, we've never spent like time with him or anything like that. And Johnny Craig. So Johnny Craig was like this, like in my ears. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like Johnny Craig. I want to be one of the guys who does something so different that everybody's trying to do that now. So to to, to like see him work was insane. And, you know, for him, it was like fucking just blowing a fucking Saturday night. He gets in the booth. And he starts recording. We're all we're all just like looking at each other, like you know, like, just full smiles, like ear to ear, like a bunch of dorks. And like he's like smashing the stuff, and 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 the. So I had already sang that entire part that he sings on it. You know, obviously I sang it a little different, but like the melody is basically essentially what I, I had already written there. And he just like you know sang sing it back in his own way. But it was so dope because like when he would record. He wouldn't sing on the mark. He would like, it was so fucking weird. He would like sing like a note or two after the mark. And he would just tell Cameron, he's like, you can move that over. And Cameron's like, I don't even know how Cameron was processing what he was doing because when he was recording it, it didn't sound, it sounded fucking insane. Like you, it's like, that's not like, it's not in the song, like the way he's recording it. And then literally Cameron just dragged it over and it's perfectly in time. And just like with the with just like the dopest like feeling of it of it like the ups and downs and stuff, and we were just like, how the fuck is he doing this? And then we got to the part where he has to do like the like the kind of like, you know, he's like singing out, and I'm like, and he's and he's like dropping the notes down like quite a few notes, and I'm like, no 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 um you know I'm like on the computer I'm like, hey man, it's actually a, you know, and he's like he's like yeah I'm I'm gonna leave that to you. <laughs> you can do those high notes. <laughs> I can't do those. So I'm just going to bring it down here. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But it, like actually the contrast of it ended up being what was so cool about it. And you know, like that's often like in the studio, that's often what it comes down to is like these like things that like happened by accident. And then they end up being the entire soul of the project somehow. For um. Sure. Uh, so yeah, yeah. That's that's basically, so basically what I heard
0: about Johnny is he doesn't even write his own lyrics half the time. He just kind of freestyles everything, remember, whatever sticks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember that was it seemed like so, I you know, I wasn't there. I can't speak to anything definitively. But I remember listening to him, especially on Dance Gavin Dance and being like, that must be how he's doing it. Because, like, it just sounds like he's really improv you know, and finding whatever whatever just hits like that's what he keeps. Yeah. and and to be fair that's how i write my melodies like to this day now afterwards once i get down that like part that i'm like this feels right i go and rewrite it to make it all make sense and i record it and it just sounds like he doesn't do that second part he just like gets yeah. the part that works and like keeps it but he's been making music for a long time i haven't spoken to him in a while so i don't know how he did his most recent stuff um, but I do know that on Amarosa album, he definitely like focused on the lyrics from what I remember. And and I remember he did like an acoustic was right. He didn't like it a solo album. And I know yeah, I, yeah. I, I know he like spent a lot of time on those lyrics. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly. So I think he probably grew out of that that way of recording. But I mean, like it gave us something special. You know what I mean?
0: For sure. I feel like he had like a I don't know, like he still has this cocky attitude, but I feel like back when he was on drugs real bad and everything he looks pretty sober right now. he looks pretty healthy i I've,
1: I've heard I've heard he's uh, pretty far into recovery now
0: yeah, so back then he just didn't give a shit you know he he was late to shows yeah,
1: and
0: yeah. there's even a video on youtube of YouTube of him like throwing up on
1: stage <laughs> i mean like whatever 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 you can imagine, we witnessed much more being on tour with him like um he, he's a he's a character man like he's he's a he's a guy he's a guy who wanted to ride the whole thing until the wheels fell off like he you get that energy from him when you meet him, and at least like you know say what you want about his antics and stuff like that, the place he was coming from artistically was an honest place yeah um sure. which you can't say the same about i i think. From a lot of people in that scene at the time, and even like the people that are still in the scene, people forget that it's a business. And the more you treat it like the business, you know, the better your chances of being successful as a business. And the less and the less you treat it like a business, the less chances you are of of being successful as a business. Like it's really, it really is that simple. Like, like barely anybody has a chance to make it. Barely anybody. Like it really is like so lucky. But if you're not treating everything like you got your ducks in a row, you got you really don't have a chance. Like you cannot fucking wing it and and become successful. It's like it takes a lot of work and effort.
0: I mean you look at the it took Dance Gab and Dance, what, fifteen years to achieve the commercial success that they have today. Which is oh, insane I mean, yeah. to me, dude. Like it's so insane. I actually just interviewed uh Friday night I interviewed Zach, Zach garen from Dance Kevin Dance? He was who okay. did the Death Star and the Happiness album with them. Yeah, I interviewed him they, and he
1: play on that? He played guitar?
0: Yeah, he was a guitarist for those okay, two okay. albums. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. he's also in Strawberry Girls. So I interviewed him and I asked him that question, you know, did you ever see them achieving commercial success? And he said, Dude, absolutely not. He said, I didn't think they were gonna be this big at all. Like
1: <laughs> It's so it's so true, dude. And and, and, and like what's the other guitarist's name? Um, Will Swan. Will I mean Will Swan guitar lines? influenced a generation of guitarists no joke and it's
0: funny because zach Guerin nor will swan know anything about music theory they don't know how to read and write music they don't know shit about music like what's I, they just know how to I play the
2: like guitar
1: that's where i am i mean like i don't know music there like uh, i have one of our guitarists for like contextual uh, felipe who i still work with felipe sanchez he's in uh slaves and he is like got that shit like memorized You know, and so it's like working with him. He's like my translator. Like I tell I tell him I kind of want boom, boom, boom. He's like, that's interesting because you're actually doing this and switching this. And then the key is coming down from this. He's like, people don't usually do that. It's kind of cool. And I was like, I I don't know, dude, I think it's it just it works. So let's just do that. And like, that's like I'm telling you, that's like most of our conversations, like when we're writing. (laughs) So I completely get where they're coming from, how they finish a whole album like that. That is bizarre to me, like. Uh, yeah, for sure. I don't think I could finish a whole album without somebody else who hears it and and tries to like simplify it down or, or, or you know, take some of the fringes off.
0: Before Gentleman's Brawl released, I believe Jack Fowler left.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean like contractually he was technically still in the band, but like yeah, like largely symbolically, like he was already well on his way to having a career with um with sleeping with sirens, yeah. That's that I mean, that's a pretty good band to
0: have a career with for sure. But I
1: mean for sure.
0: <laughs> what was the the
1: logic behind not replacing him? Just so so he actually is on Gentleman's Brawl. Like he does record guitars on there. And then this is the thing, man. Like we signed we signed with Uprising and it was like it's the kind of thing where if you don't know how to read a contract, you're just excited to be signed you're just excited somebody's reaching out to you and saying you're good enough to be on a label and we're going to press your album. And we didn't have anybody read over that contract. And it was like, by and large, a terrible contract. Like, like it's not even worded correctly. It's such a fucking terrible contract. And so we didn't understand the extent to how much a bad contract can fuck you over until it fucked us over. Until, like, those little tiny things that we didn't think mattered started adding up in influencing everything else. And it just became apparent to every single person in the band. Like, oh, not only are we not going to be able to make money doing this, we are now trapped. We can't even join a band who is going to make money in doing this because we're trapped in this contract. Yeah. At the time, you know, Jack was just like trying to do it on the DL because, you know, he's he's telling them, like, you know, uh, you know, I'll still do my commitments and stuff like that. Like, you know, everything's chill. And there's the same thing with Jake, like, you know, Jake's touring with Memphis, but I'm not in Memphis, quote unquote. Yeah. But they managed to 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 get enough success without gaining the ire of Uprising that they then became too valuable to go after, in a sense. Yeah. Because, like, Uprising was not a big label. They don't have a lot of resources. They're not going to take Jake Garland of Memphis Mayfire to court. They're not going to take Memphis Mayfire to court. And they're not going to take Rise Records the court they're gonna lose yeah for sure so like you know i didn't feel like i necessarily ever had that option because i feel like my voice was too distinct for me to get away with saying like i'm not the vocalist of broadway and so yeah Yeah. man i kind of just like played my cards close to my chest and i was like i'll just finish out this contract get out of it and we can fucking move on with our lives and 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 truthfully like as like gentlemen's brawl as we were making it and trying to release it, I didn't see a future in music. Yeah. At that at that point, I was thoroughly defeated. In fact, while we, while we were making that, I worked at Disney World. I was the a monorail driver at Disney World, at Epcot and, and Magic Kingdom. So at any given time, like somebody who knew Broadway could have stepped onto my platform and just been like, hey, you're and I and I would have like taken my hat, covered my eyes, and just jumped off the balcony. <laughs>
0: It's weird that you say that, though, because that album, I, I was actually, li- I've I listened to your whole catalog for the last two days. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, so Kingdoms, Gentleman's Brawl, and Contexture, and there's definitely so much of a difference between Kingdoms, and like all three of them. Yeah. I know as soon as a song comes on, I know which album, album I'm listening to.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, totally. That album was a really fun album, like... Like the song yeah. it was more of a pop punk easy chord type of album. It had breakdowns. There was there wasn't as much screaming in it. Right. But it was definitely more of a pop punk easy chord type of an album. Really fun. The lyrics were fun. Like yeah. <laughs> so yeah. For you to say that you just
1: felt defeated, it's kinda weird, man. Like <laughs> Yeah, because I mean like the like we were writing Okay, so at that time, like when we were touring with Broadway, we were we were we were writing Gentleman Sprawl. Like like not like sitting down, let's write an album. But, like, we always had, like, ideas floating back and forth and ones that just stuck. Like, the actual song, Gentleman's Brawl, was, like, one that we had for, like, a year before we recorded it. Um, and, and, and Gentleman's Brawl was based on the fact that at the scene, this everything was so negative. Everything was so, like, the labels were just, like, choking everybody. Management companies were just whipping people in the back. And, and 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 agents were just like packaging the same bands over and over. Like the bands don't even realize what's happening. They yeah. don't even realize they're getting squeezed. They can't see the con. And like we saw it. We saw it ahead of time. Especially I think we got there a little early because we were already in contention with our label and like what we had signed to. So like that's what we were on the lookout for. Like how is this going to fuck us later? And so. It was this time of like fuck dude like we're everybody's fucked like every band we tour with is like they're hemorrhaging money and their fame is dwindling while they're hemorrhaging money and like how how does anybody keep this shit afloat and i wanted to get back to the feeling that we had when we were playing in our hometown and that was like shows were fucking fun that's why we went we went to shows because like we loved Getting hot and sweaty and just like (laughs) laughing and and being goofy and like, you know, after the show, you know, Sean's house, we're going to go party at Sean's house after the show. We're all going to we're all just going to fucking hang out and until like five in the morning and until we're just too tired to keep our eyes open. And that was the feeling I missed on tour. That was the feeling that had escaped me. And I was looking backwards when we wrote that album. To kind of capture that feeling, and the really, really sad part is, after I wrote it, it was like we had been away for so long, and it's like you know, early twenties, everybody like that's when you start doing your thing. Yeah. So it's like every every, all my hometown friends, they all moved on. They all had you know shit to do. They're all separated. They don't get together anymore. You know, nobody hangs out anymore, and it was so sad. So it was like it was more like a nostalgia uh, thing to just like kind of like pay homage to what i considered like the most fun i ever had in my life yeah and that's why the album is like that it's like even the serious stuff on the album is like very light-hearted it's this kind of like i mean who life is fun you know what i mean even the shitty stuff like you can make it fun and and gentlemen's brawl in itself was like there was so much cutthroat like just negativity and and meanness in the scene of like people just hating each other even bands that were on tour with other bands just hating each other and i'm not going to say that i wasn't like i didn't play my part in that um but it definitely like just its essence took a toll on me and i think the thing that was even worse was like there was a lot of like smiling to your face kind of stuff yeah um and that kind of stuff just rubbed me the wrong way it's like i i don't get how you can like have a problem with somebody and then the next second you're acting cool with them like you know bring up the problem and that was which was the kind of person I was. I didn't shy away from like telling people how I felt about any given thing. And and that it, <laughs> that doesn't earn you a lot of like friends uh on tour. Um so yeah, I wanted like Gentlemen's Brawl is the idea of like, you know, we have this animosity here and it's all being fed from like sources that aren't direct sources. Like you and I aren't like directly contacting each other to have a problem you are getting like you know radio um radioed in that like i have a problem with you and then that creates feelings that you have that you express to other people and then i'm hearing that and it was this awful game of like telephone with some people especially with bigger bands that like that's a shitty situation to be in gaining the ire of like a big band in the scene can get you blackballed very easily And there's almost no recovering from it because like, what are you going to do? You can't, you're not just going to skip a level of growth. You can't skip that medium level of growth and go straight to the high level um, uh, to skip all these people who aren't going to work with you. Um, So that's what the album is really about. It's about like, hey, let's, let's chill out. Let's hang. You know what I mean? Like, let's calm down. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It really isn't that big of a deal. Your your ego doesn't have to play that much of a part in this. We can really like chill out and just, just
0: get back to to having fun. Exactly, that's understandable, man. It is. It's a really fun album. I enjoy all three albums, all on their own accord. Dope. I'm glad to hear that. Contexture was definitely probably your heaviest album. Yeah, yeah. The lyrics were very real and and angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so it. Yeah, totally, totally. That album, of course, it's about you know you have songs that are about uh, just humans being humans, you know, killing and I can I think one of the lyrics is like uh, I can take your life or something like that, or I can love you, just, just like showing the, the dual sides of, of humanity, basically yeah. the ugly side and the beauty side. You know that that album was very uh, lyrically
1: pleasing. Okay, sense. okay, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> So, I mean, Contexture, let, let's see. Contexture, uh, I, I mean, I still talk to, like, Felipe and Sean were the guys I wrote that. Uh, Sean Connors, Felipe Sanchez were the guys that I wrote the album with. It started with Felipe. It was just me and Felipe at first. Sean was in a different band at the time. And we didn't have a cohesive uh, formula yet. What we were doing was we were writing tracks that, like, kind of brought in this. like We were, like, going back and listening to, like, Hoobastank, uh, like, the, the Reason album. <laughs> yeah. And they just had like Huba Stink does that great like minor major shit where it's like I think it's like you play the minor chord and you sing the major to it and it like creates like this epic fucking sound, like this epic melody that you're you're just like this they're saying something really important here. You know what I mean? Um and you and you leave those moments to when you're saying something really important. It's really cool. Incubus, like going back and listening, like Incubus, they do it a lot. And and we were just like hung up on that sound so we were writing like a lot of that stuff and then once sean came into the picture he brought a couple of songs with him he wrote like you know doppelganger he wrote a lot of our heavier stuff um like sean's like a fucking insane heavy guitarist and so when we started piecing all that together i worked at like pizza hut at the time i was like delivering pizza so like a lot i spent a lot of my time i would play the track like people would just like record it on his you know playing acoustic guitar on his phone just try to keep it in time And then I would I would just play them over and over and over while I was driving and start, you know, just like trying to get into the headspace of it, like seeing stuff, you know, what sticks here. And I remember like I was big into like I remember the Snowpiercer, the movie had come out like near that time. And I remember just being super into Snowpiercer, like I loved it. I thought it was so good. Shows I have good taste that he won the Academy Award a couple of years later. Like that's how good that director is. And so. Yeah, I started writing, like, oh, oh, what was the other thing I saw? Uh, There was a movie with Dennis Quaid and Ben something. It's like they're in space and they're on this ship. Oh, man, what is it called? Pandorum. Have you ever seen that movie, Pandorum? I uh, haven't even heard of it. So, Pandorum is, uh, I do you, do you mind if I ruin it just for the sake <laughs> Oh, good. What spoilers for no, right? yeah, anybody Spoiler
0: listen? alert, yeah. <laughs> Skip ahead, in like, I don't know, five minutes.
1: So, <laughs> the movie is uh, uh the main character wakes up on this spaceship. And it's supposed to be a spaceship that's taken us from Earth. You know, Earth was destroyed or, like, was dying or whatever. And we're going to a new planet. So this is the seed ship. And But he wakes up and, like, everything's fucked up on the ship. And there's, like, monsters and shit like that. Long story short, you realize that the guy who's claiming to be the captain when he wakes up is actually, like, a young guy who had, like... I I, I forget if he had, like, set himself to wake up or... If he had like was awake the whole time, because they like they, you know they went to like cryo sleep basically for the long journey. Yeah, and he had like woken up and like fucked up the ship and everything and like destroyed the other ships and stuff. I, I I can't remember why if he wanted he was like playing god on the ship or something. But the monsters that they found were like actually humans that were like released on the ship and they had lived there for generations, so they had like evolved into like these like things like that like you know live on the ship and just kind of like exist there you know it was a really trippy it was a really trippy story kind of reminded me of Trigun a little little bit so that was in my head like those two things were like in my head like the idea of like sci-fi being like telling the story of the class warfare and then in pandorum the idea of when you take such a grand idea to space we're on earth right now and grand ideas can do so much damage you take it into space you're fucking in space like you're stuck there <laughs>
2: and yeah. like, so
1: whatever happens in space is like it's like that Cowboy Bebop thing. That was another thing that was like a huge inspiration for architecture. Was Cowboy Bebop? This idea that like once you spread everything out, there's no order to that. You know what I mean? Like these, these, yeah. all these spaces are going to evolve on their own away from the. So like crime and like you know tyranny, those are going to become. It's like the Wild, wild West. It's going to be like a kind of regular thing to find out in the middle of nowhere. You find tyranny or you find some kind of abuse happening. Yeah. So that's what the album is about. The album is about these long stretches of, of time from when the first song, Manifest Prosperity, is like the seed ship, like in Pandora, like and entering out in and in, and in much like Snowpiercer, class warfare breaking out on the seed ship. Um, and then the second song is about the colonists uh, phase. So, like once we, you know, we set out to these other planets, we, we colonize these planets. And then they send out even people to even further distances to you know the, there's a lot of money in reconning finding uh, I found this planet with a lot of metal or whatever, and you know I live here. some people like you know they decide not to work like well, that, that's like the premise of like alien right so like they go out and they're looking for their mining ship yeah and so but like much like an alien, it's like you know whatever happens out there, like it's isolated to that thing, and so the idea of the second song prometheus is the idea that like i have i have this feeling i have this feeling of doing something new now and i and and as a member of humanity this is my moment to do it this is where like nobody can stop me from trying something new out here and you know the metaphor of it obviously is like even creatively of trying something new like how dangerous it feels but like you feel you instinctively you want to do it you know artificial love is about like you know, these, co- these colonies have become, so, so the entire, actually the entire album is in chronological order. Um, this, I know this all sounds like super high concept to like, right. <laughs> for an album that not a lot of people listen to, but uh, the original idea was to have like recorded stories in between each song, kind of setting the stage for the next song. We didn't, we, we didn't have enough money to pull it off. um, And we just had enough money to finish the album. So like, A lot of it is, it's hilarious, it's called Contexture, but a lot of it is is without context. Um, You kind of have to just, like, listen to the songs. I remember there was, like, one album review where the guy had, like, pieced the whole thing together. It was absolutely bizarre to read because I'm like, I never talked to this guy about it, but he, like, pieced the whole story together. I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this guy really listened to this album. Artificial Love is about, like, artificial intelligence and... What its idea of love might be at first, which kind of goes to like, you know, Carl Jung's like idea of the of the anima. Like there's like, do you know what the anima is? Mm. So it's like uh, like stages of like your subconscious concept of the opposite sex. So like the anima actually evolves in each person in kind of like a linear fashion. It starts with um, it starts with like just physical attraction. Um, and then it becomes like the goddess like that's like I think that's like the second stage. Yeah. And then like that's that's where like they just become an icon that you like you like worship them past like their humanity. You're denying them their humanity. You're denying them their faults because all you want to see is like their their goddessness. I and got then you. Okay. and then like the third one is like I think the third one might be the last one might be before. But like the last one is like you come to accept their faults and now now you envision a fully formed. Human being. And um the anima appears in your dreams. Um the anima appears in your dreams um as like a mirror to your subconscious. So you can actually tell what like kind of like where your brain's at, where your subconscious is at based on like how you view women in your dreams or men, you know, or the opposites that that yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, animus as the man uh to women. And so Artificial love is, like, that idea of, like, the first, like, the AI has to go through the first phase of, like, just, like, obsession. And that's what artificial love kind of stands for, is, like, this idea that, like, people get, like, caught up in these obsessions of love. And they think that's love because it's, like, all-consuming and it gives them an energy. They don't realize that that's them, like, doing that to themselves. That's not the other person. Yeah. Um you know, they're getting themselves high on their own idea. And why would AI be any different if they were to gain any kind of consciousness? So that when you think about that, it's like kind of fucking scary. You're like in, in the song, like the AI is an AI on a warship. Um, And they're in charge of like all the systems and everything like that. And they fall in love with the captain of the ship. And it's like this very controlling relationship where they start like judging and listening to every conversation the captain is having and stuff like that. So, yeah.
0: And then, uh, so yeah, that's yeah. an awesome concept idea for that album, for sure. Yeah. I honestly, I knew it had to be something because when I was listening to it, I picked up on little bit, bits and pieces, but I was thinking more of a, like a Wally e type scenario.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it's essentially it, it, like, okay, so if we skip ahead, like Volcano Jack is like the Wild Wild West part of outer space where it's like, we're colonizing and like, you know, there's all this shit happening. So, like, Bounty Hunters become, like, Cowboy Bebop things. It's, like, Bounty Hunters become, like, this huge thing. And so, Volcano Jack is the idea. Volcano Jack is a character that somebody plays, a Bounty Hunter character that somebody plays, like, reality TV. So, like, you fall, like, people, like, get a lot of, like, people in the inner colonies, you know, life is so kind of pampered for them and structured. It's like watching the show Cops or, like, Dog the Bounty Hunter. Like, they want to see, they want to confirm to them that like everybody that has it bad, they deserve it. Because they're they're actually a mess. They're actually bad people who don't have it together. And I get to watch them uh, I get to watch some kind of justice or law from from the rich point of view get inflicted upon these people. <laughs> and that's so that's the idea of Volcano you know, Jack is like this very glamorized guy who plays this character of like, I'm gonna hunt you down. And in you know I'm gonna get your bounty. And it, 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 so it's supposed to be like the theme song to like his show. Yeah. Doppelganger. Doppelgangers like in the future is, is based on like pop stars or any kind of famous person like cult, cult of personality. Who then he can clone clone himself so that if any body parts fail, they just take it from the healthy clone. So you just keep like replacing your liver if you're like a huge drinker. You just have you have a clone literally just for body parts and like, and like organs and stuff like that. Um, but they have to like travel around with you. They have to be with you in case anything happens. So it's like, you know them, like, you know, the clone so that the, the song is about the clone from the clone's perspective of like realizing that it's only existence is there to appease this other being in case like their excess comes back to haunt them. That's what you're there for. You're there for them to take pieces off of you, so that they can live longer. And then, like Interstellar, Avalanches is like is like the uprising of like the outer colonies. I am a Man is about like the restructuring politically of like after the uprising happens. We now have to construct this like you know galaxy wide civilization, um, from scratch. And then Gods and Men takes place all the way at the end of the universe when entropy like sucks everything away and there's just an, a culmination of an AI left over that has like absorbed every intelligence that like has ever existed. It just like exists in like a quantum state and it, and it's like reviewing all of history. Like God's men is like re- the AI is reviewing all of history. Yeah. And it's deciding that because like, uh, in between uh, I am a man and God's a man, there was another song that we didn't get to record. But it, that song was going to be about how humans used like AI to solve all their problems. They they used AI as like a to end war and all this stuff, and then and then it creates like this like I don't know this kind of society where it's like once you live without something you you can't see how it manifests itself anymore. And so God's and Men is about the AI looking back and realizing the AI actually committed a like a great sin. By taking humanity's choice away in that situation, and and it actually created the, a shadow of humanity. So at the end of the song, it restarts the universe to start from scratch to make sure that AI would never do that, and and to let humanity find its own story.
0: Very very interesting. That's amazing. That whole concept is is pretty dope. Thank you, man. Thank you. That's. That's insane that there was that much thought put into it. I mean, it's a very good record, dude. I enjoy every song off of it. Thank I, I you, man. jam it pretty hard.
1: It's probably the, the the one I go back to. Like, I go actually back to it pretty regularly. Like Probably like once every couple of months or something. And I'll just call up like Felipe in the middle of the night and be like, dude, this fucking album rocks. <laughs> fucking album is sick. It is. It's so good, man. <laughs> uh, the two
0: bands you mentioned before, uh, while we were talking about it, is who was stank and incubus? Is there any of those songs you want to throw on your legends? Oh, followers? I
1: mean, shit. Who was stank? Fuck their whole fucking first album. I mean, crawling in the dark was a song that played in a Mountain Dew commercial. Um, and it's a it's a commercial where the guy's in like a fucking like muscle car, and he's like across a parking lot, and he sees another dude about to take a drink of his Mountain Dew. And so he, like, revs up the engine, like, peels out, hits, like, this, like, little ramp. That little, it was, like, a big ramp. And, like, flies upside down over the guy, grabs the bottle out of his hand as he's, like, about to drink it, and then, like, slams down, like, with the tires on the ground, like, is, like, drinking the Mountain Dew. <laughs> and it's, like, playing Crawling in the Dark for no fuck, just because the Crawling in the Dark sounds cool. Like, the lyrics make no fucking sense for the commercial. But it just sounds cool. Um... And I remember like using that song, like using that commercial to try to find the song. I found Hoover Stank, and I was like, "This fucking rules." And that was before like "Running Away" and "Remember Me" like blew up on the radio. Um yeah. But yeah, those songs, shit. I mean, yeah, that that made it, that album made a big impression on me. And then they came out with the reason, which I mean, just fucking exploded. Um. For not even the reasons that I think necessarily are the coolest stuff on the album. Like, the reason is not, in my opinion, like, the best song of that album. I can I can see why most people like it. But, like, Out of Control was fucking sick. Escape has, like, the... Oh, my God. Like, the, dru- the drums on Escape, like, I kept hearing them again in other songs. And I remember, like, that guitar line, too, kind of reminded me of, like, stuff that would be in, like, a Sonic song. Like, uh, this will tell you how big of a nerd I was. I was, like... I was into like video game songs, like uh, like the Sonic song and stuff like that. <laughs> like like Sonic like Sonic Adventure had like a song. What was it? song Adventure Two or something like that? And it was like I can't. It was like this poppy song. Something it was like going downhill. It was like Follow the Rainbow. It had like a pink, like a, like a soft pop punk <laughs> beat. And I I was like obsessed with like the Digimon soundtrack and stuff like that. It was all like really soft, like pop punk stuff. Like, that's the kind of stuff I grew up on. So I was like a little cheesy kid. So like, they, they kind of took those elements that to me, like, at least they, they felt like a touchstone to those elements. And then I kept hearing those drums. What's the Undero song? Moving for the sake of motion. It's like. Like, it always reminded though that that kind of like rolling drums to me, like, started with that, with that escape song the band incubus mean, um, where do you even start with incubus i, I saw
0: them live a couple years ago did you really brandon boyd is amazing he played like a two-hour set and it didn't even like it, he sounded the same from when he started to when the set ended he ma- <laughs> he
1: he makes me feel so small because it sounds like it sounds like they get such like good dry recordings from him That they don't even really have to do anything to his voice to make him sound good. Like, they probably put, like, a little bit of, like, reverb and shit on there. Maybe, 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 like, an echo or something. And he just sounds absolutely fucking insane. So, like, they get, like, they don't have to do much to his voice. So now they have all that other space to, like, mix in with the guitars and stuff like that. And they always have such great, like, um, tone to, like, everything they do. Like, their drums and their guitars. And e- everything gets to fit in there without it feeling like too much. Like you can really like space out and hear everything. It's really cool. I mean, pardon me. There was a radio acoustic version. They did like a live version acoustic for a radio station that like went around LimeWire for a long time and that I downloaded and listened to back. Like I know that acoustic version, that live acoustic version better than I know the actual fucking song. Pardon <laughs> me. I mean, drive was on a uh, guitar hero, man. Guitar Hero was a huge influence. Huge influence. I mean, they literally had fucking Fall of Troy, right? On what was it? Guitar Hero 2 or 3? I think they it was a, 3. They had a fucking Fall of Troy on there, bro. And Muse, I
0: think was Muse. on there. Muse was such a good song. To oh play on my
1: there. god, bro. They were killing. They had a kill switch engage. Yeah. <laughs> like, so many good like modern songs. I got into Fall of Troy that album at the same time as downtown battle mountain. And because they were, I I don't know. They just, they had like a synonymous like spirit to them. And you could tell the fall of Troy, you could tell the fall of Troy knew what they were doing a little better than dance. Gavin dance did, but like they had the same kind of like spirit to them with the guitar work and the singing and stuff. And so like me and my friends would just put both of those albums, put that shit on shuffle and let it go. You could you couldn't hear a bad song the yeah. whole time. You were just you were just in this like guitar heaven with like these fast drums, like mouse like sound signwriter missiles, dude. I just got the symphony going. Shit, that fucking album. That <laughs> album is crazy. So like all of this stuff, it's actually funny. Like all the stuff we talked about precedes like my taste now, which is like completely different than than what I was listening to back then. Yeah, the stuff I regularly listen to now. I'll be honest, like, I like going into, like, the Spotify, you know, Made For You, We Think You Might Like This. I I forget what the the thing is called. But it's your Discover Weekly. Because, you know, they take, like, a little formula from, like, what you've been listening to. And they're like, I think you might like this. And it's usually that the song's like, I'll listen to a song, this is fucking rad. And I'll go to the page, and it's got, like, a thousand plays. And I'm like, number one, I'm like, it kind of gives me that feeling I had in high school when I was finding bands. You know what I mean? Like on MySpace and stuff like that. You go to MySpace. This band is fucking sick. I'm gonna I'm putting this song on my MySpace page so that when people come to my page, I'm automatically cooler to them because I found this song before they did. And and like it kind of gives you like that kind of feeling where you're like, man, I'm fucking into this shit before it like blows up. Shit, man. I'm into mute math now. Like mute math is like probably I haven't heard them in a long time. Yeah. I mean they're their new stuff. I think they got off their label and started self-producing around their album, Vitals. Vitals was when I started smoking weed. I started smoking weed around the time that I, I started listening to Vitals. And it blew my fucking mind. Blew my mind. Every song on that album is insane. Insane. And then they released another album after that. Played dead. Oh my god, dude. Okay, I, 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 I'm not going to get political like completely political about it let's, let's just say i if you follow me at all i fucking hate donald trump i fucking hate that guy and like when he was elected uh like truthfully it put me in one of the worst depressions i have ever gone through i was spiraling it's not even a i can't even describe to you how bad it was for me emotionally and personally like just watching everything happen was like destroying my mind there were two records that got me through that and that is play dead play dead from start to finish is absolutely fucking bonkers it's like they have all the textures from like electronic music like that you know that's big in like electronic music now like flume and shit like that where it's just like it's all about the textures it's all about finding these like asmr kind of like quality sounds to hit your like subconscious and like bring up something that album and then what was that paramore album that came out at the same time after laughter I could listen to from start to finish. Those are like the two albums I would put on just to get out of bed and make breakfast, drink my coffee and start my day just to feel safe, you know, in the music. Is there a Um, song
0: off of uh, Play Dead that kind of sticks out to you that we can throw on
1: here? Break the Fever. Break the Fever. I would say there's two actually. Break the Fever and, and Stroll On. And then you
0: said that Paramore
1: album? That Paramore album. Yeah, absolutely hard times rose-colored boy yeah man those were like the the two that I really got into and then yeah. mute math has like a newer song they put out like, like an EP they, their drummer left and they got a new drummer and then they put out an EP called sound in the silence which is fantastic if anybody it's like super it's a super short EP voice in the silence there's only four songs and every song is dope but they 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 remixed the version they did a new version of everything new which is off of play Dead. It's the 2018 version, so it's, like, the second track on there. That track is, like, transportative. You know what I mean? Like, it really, like, teleports you somewhere else. Like, the visuals it gives me are almost like the the story of, like, an ancient subconscious that, that like, kind of exists within us. Like, that we kind of remember what it was like to make that step into consciousness. Yeah. And it was that discovery, like, that what the song is about, that everything is new that discovery that everything is new that the things that you took for granted that the system that you had like learned from you know these animals are dangerous don't eat this uh, plant all these like shorthands that we had created that we kind of turned into like religion we re- we kind of like somewhere in our like monkey brain we remember that inspiration of like well what if those things aren't necessarily granted or consist as consistent as we think they are. What, you know, what, what if like tomorrow can hold something radically different than today? And I feel like that's an essence. That's like a, like an essential truth that like we all kind of have within us and, and we don't hear it. We don't hear it enough. And so we forget it. And, but when you do hear it, especially at your worst, you remember that it's true. And it's like, and it cuts through like every religion. It cuts through like every religion. Most philosophies, like, you know, there's like some enlightenment line of thinking that like, like science isn't a philosophy. Like science is is, is our method of like confirming what's in front of us and, and what's going to be consistent tomorrow. But it the beauty of science is that it can be wrong and it should be wrong. That we can always learn more. Yeah. Um, it leaves that door open. It doesn't say like, you know, this is this for sure. It's just this is our best, our best fucking guess that we have with all the knowledge that's available to us. This is what we think it is. Or like um, under
0: these circumstances.
1: Right, 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 right. Because, yeah, because there's even like superposition, quant- like quantum observation, like all that kind of stuff. And so the, the idea that things can be different tomorrow, that everything can be new, everything that even the things that you take for granted, like a tree outside like t- tomorrow, maybe the tree's essence isn't any different, but it probably is. But maybe you see that tree differently tomorrow. Just maybe. And maybe that that perception is like Sudoku, right? It's like playing like a giant fucking game of Sudoku. I don't know if you've ever played Sudoku. Um. Yeah. But like imagine a giant Sudoku puzzle instead of like nine boxes. What if it's like a thousand fucking boxes? Like you know what I mean? Like a giant game of Sudoku where it just Just discovering that one number in that one box can give you so many answers, but you're not at the end. You can all you there's it's a never ending cycle of like moving outwards and like discovering all these perceptions. And even maybe one day, like you discover that that five was actually a four. And that now that changes all your equations going out. (laughs) And and like that, that idea like scares a lot. of people. Like I get that from like, I grew up as like a Christian. You know what I mean? I grew up as a pretty like literal, literalist, like, biblical christian and and i lost faith like on tour i lost faith seeing bands claim to be christians and go out and 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 perform the most ungodly things that i had ever seen and then go on stage the next day and be like jesus christ is your savior i'm like what the fuck is going on right now like how is this okay and and it's not okay but what what it really confirmed to me and then you know. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but we, like, flipped our van on tour once. Like, um, No, I didn't know that. Yeah, we flipped our van, totaling our van across the interstate. Like, We rolled our van across the interstate, landed on the other side, destroyed our van, destroyed our trailer. And the cop literally said when he got the call, because, like, you know, the highway cops, they get calls like that. And he was like, I got body bags in the trunk. He's like, I didn't think any of you guys were alive. thought you guys were dead. Somebody told me a van rolled across the interstate. Everybody's dead. Damn. And so that was like a turning point because I saw my whole life flash before my eyes. And I can tell you right now, I didn't think I was going to fucking heaven. And not and not to say like I didn't deserve to go to heaven or anything like that. But I, I just had like this instinct of like, there's really nothing. Once I once the lights go out, um, my lights are out. And, yeah. And it, and it just made me like reflect on everything that I, I had ever believed in and it is more to that. I'm, I'm giving like, you know, the simplified version of it, but, um, it like made me question everything. And so going back and like reevaluating my morality and how I saw the world, um, that was largely in contexture. That was largely a product of that. And then, yeah. and which is why it's called, uh, God's men in the infinite cosmos, the idea of God's being like, yeah, God, Gods are gods are bigger than us, so there are ideas that are bigger than us and are in more control maybe than us, but they are still victims of the universe. They are still trapped in the same logic that we live in. They have to be by nature because we're the ones that are manifesting them. And so yeah. and it ties all the way back to new math. So everything new being the idea that like you never know what your perception is going to be tomorrow. And don't necessarily get so married to the one you have today. And that isn't to say that the way you feel today is discounted in any way. It's just as real as tomorrow is going to be. But that means that tomorrow is just as real as today is going to be. So you have to take it at face value. You can't, take, you can't live a life where all the negative things are happening so you know the positives are the mistake. That doesn't exist. They're all part of the same tapestry. And you have to take them at equal value, and and try to cherish the things that bring you joy or bring you, you know, uh, creativity or inspiration. Um, yeah. Because those things are really all around you, regardless of whether you look around and you see, you know, the color drained out of things. Oh, um, um, yeah. You know, there's 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 texture in you Like, go find it. There's there's texture and everything, and 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 that's not to discount. Like, obviously, like you know, a lot of people suffer from. Um, all different forms of like depression and anxiety and stuff like that. Um, mine mo- mostly comes from like ADHD and just like all of the results of like ADHD in my life. Um, yeah, giving me a kind of like, uh, sometimes like a depressing negative outlook. But I do, I do think that like there's like magic. And like I hate saying magic because it's not like I think there's like incantations you can fucking read back and do some like. You know, Naruto handshit to like make things happen. But, <laughs> but, but, but there is a magic that we cannot explain and that we have, we don't necessarily have control of the same way we don't have control of like the ocean. But, yeah. but you can, you can ride the ocean. You can be a part of it. Um, just because you don't have to control it. Um, you can just be a part of it and, and, and bow down to its like, magnificence you know what i mean like it, it, the ocean is this special thing and you get to go in and find harmony in it somehow with the other with the other things that find you know um their their place in it so everything new yeah that like that i come back to that quite a bit uh, and that goes that goes with uh, daft punk I, I i would be remiss if i didn't mention daft punk one of my biggest influence i think they i think they might actually be fucking aliens and i'm and i'm not even joking like i've told my friends that i'm like i think they might actually be from another planet and they came here and they're just fucking jamming with us <laughs> because their songs are so special like um uh one more time is, is uh, like is in the same concept of everything new except you know 20 years earlier um is is there ever a, is there is there a, is there something more exciting than one more time? Like is there an idea or concept more exciting than like Uno Mas? Let's go again. Start it up. We're fucking rocking out. Everybody get in here. One more song, one more time. Like you can you know what I mean? In like in yeah. my, like um Tame Impala's new album, One More Hour, One More Year is just a reflection of that central idea from that song, one more fucking time one more fucking time and then there's a song get lucky which is like we're all here to get lucky we are like it's like a it's like a it's a pop song you hear it on the radio and you're like oh yeah they're talking about like get, you know getting late or whatever um no it's it, it, they pick their words for a reason and they pick yeah. the words we are here to get lucky we are here to defy the odds and calculations that have already decided what's gonna happen because fuck that shit. We're here for the lucky parts. You know what I mean. We're here to get lucky. Right. So just wanted to mention those two.
0: I only have a few more questions for you. the The main one is: Did y'all did, did Broadway actually break up, or are y'all we are just on an indefinite hiatus? Or
1: I mean, I think broad Broadway as a band was only ever a band for Kingdoms, in a sense. And, I, and we we did tour on Gentlemen's Brawl, um, but not in the same way. And it was like. Broadway to us, like, and when I say Broadway, I don't mean any specific members. Like, I could be talking about you know Jake. I could be talking about Jack, who I talk, you know, I talk to those guys. Um, yeah. You know, every now and then, Felipe and Sean, I talk to pretty regularly. And Broadway's kind of like what, whatever, whatever, whatever starts itching us, and we can't help but scratch it, and then we want people to hear it. That's Broadway. Like with, with, with all those guys, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. um are we going to be ever be a touring band? Like you can go see Broadway. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say no, but I'm not, I'm, I can't say yes. Um, so no, not broken up in the sense that you can hope you cannot hope to like ever hear anything from us again. But I guess like in the sense that we are not going to be a band in the fashion that you expect bands to operate career wise. Yes.
0: So is that I mean is there gonna be uh, new songs or anything coming out from Broadway
1: or from Broadway? I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely working on music right now, and it's not really like anything of the Broadway vein. Um, yeah, I, I've been working a lot in like in like hip hop and and pop and dance and that kind of stuff. Um, so you probably hear that stuff probably sooner rather than later in in, as opposed to like a new broadway album but it's like i talked to all those guys we're all in like good standing we all talk about getting together and making music we're just all apart you know um yeah but you never know you never know what happens you know i i I do i do plan on like i'm in colorado now i'm based out of colorado and i'm always talking to those guys about going back to florida and and hitting the studio and doing stuff And, like, you know, obviously right now, like, that's not really a good idea from COVID and all that stuff. But, um, you know, eventually there will be a, a, a time where things, like, lighten up, I think. And I think this entire thing, it changed the world. But I think one of the things that, like, essentially revealed is that when we don't have all these distractions outside of our home, we kind of retreat into ourselves looking for answers and so we go back to the places where we found answers when we were a kid. Like, I don't know about you, but I went back and started listening to a lot of stuff I listened to in high school. Like, I started listening to Taking Back Sunday. I started listening to Senses Fail, The Used, My Chemical Romance. And I'm like, these songs saved me when I was a kid. You know, these, these songs gave me a place that I felt like myself, finally. So maybe there's something there. Maybe myself is still there. And, and I'm not going to lie. Like, I go back and I listen to some of the songs. I'm like, I'm not really feeling this right now. not really feeling this today after you know the kind of person that i am but sometimes you do hit on tracks that are just like holy shit like this still fucking bumps
0: (laughs) right i like to open up the podcast with a song and i know y'all released contexture uh independently yeah so is there a a song off of contexture i can use to uh open up the podcast totally
1: totally yeah man i don't mind um it's the it's the first song on the album. It's the song that I that I when I play the album I I listen to it all the way through personally. Yeah. I don't skip ahead. I start from Manifest Prosperity because when those drums come in, the fucking guitar, I wrote I wrote those drums and guitars working at Disney. I I wrote them, yeah, I wrote them before Gentleman's Brawl. And and I had them in my head forever, forever. And yeah to hear them finally on the track was it's amazing i don't have to go into my head to hear it anymore i can put that i can put that track on and feel it again um so yeah manifest prosperity for sure all right
0: and then i also like to put a like just put one of the songs on the playlist is there a song from any album that you like the most or that fans like the most or
1: man that's a tough question <laughs> uh it would be so easy to say pinky especially now that they're like remaking pinky in the brain um yeah, uh, right <laughs> but honestly i would i would probably say shit what a question <laughs> i don't know man I don't know what do you what do you like if you could picture an ending like i like we 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 you know we we track our 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 albums like purposefully so like the ending tracks are like supposed to be like the ending of an album but I think that'd be like kind of corny to pick one of the ending tracks to like automatically be the ending of it. Um Maybe something, maybe something that like actually like kind of switches it with like something that doesn't signify the ending. What about like a, like a, what do you call it? Like a semicolon? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like we, we stop this part and then we begin the, the next part. Um What would that be? I mean, shit, but well, that is Pinky. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's on the same thing. We do everyday Pinky.
0: And, uh, yeah, man, that's pretty much, uh, pretty much all I have for you. Uh, the playlist is actually quite, got quite a few songs on it. So, um, I'll hit you up. I think this is going to release next Monday. Next Monday. Cool. 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 Yeah. Work on it throughout the week. Honestly, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. For... No problem, man. Thank you for inviting me. No, oh, no problem, dude. I enjoyed the conversation and everything. So. I hope
1: I didn't ramble too much. Like I know like some. I've tried to make a podcast before of just myself like myself and other people and like editing like my my rants is like so difficult. So I hope I hope no, there's no pain involved when you go over it again. No man, it's fine.
0: I, I do all this just kind of uh, throughout the night. Well, you know, my my wife will walk, rock my baby and I'll come in here and just take oh. it with this a couple hours a night and then I mean, it doesn't really take long. By the end of the the week I'll have it all ready and Got you, got you, got you. I so All right, man. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much, man.
1: Good talk, man. Take it easy. Bye.
2: I am a man Capable of mass destruction I am a man Fighting with compassion Built from all my sins I am afraid But never let the fear take over me Figure out a way To take what's mine you yeah.